0: Are you ready to take your mindset to an even higher level on and off the mat? Then you're ready for the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, where jiu-jitsu practitioners open their minds to new ideas and concepts about personal development, entrepreneurship, jiu-jitsu, and life. Our mission is to inspire, impact, and or improve your life in some way to support you during your consistent pursuit of becoming the best version of yourself personally and professionally. It's time to go beyond the mat with the host of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast, Gustavo Dantas.
1: Welcome to episode 119. I'm your host, Gustavo Dantas, and today we have Pedro Sauer. Pedro is eighth degree coral belt in jiu-jitsu under Hicks and Gracie. He has one of the biggest associations in the world, the Pedro Sauer Association, with over 150 affiliates. He was one of the first Brazilians to migrate to the United States to share jiu-jitsu, so this was late 80s, early 90s. So he talked about cool stories back then, especially early days training with Grandmaster Elio Gracie and Hicks and Gracie, so it was a really cool interview. So before we get to the interview just share a few things with you one is last week i had the opportunity to interview Fabio Gurgel oh, for those who don't know i do have a podcast in portuguese as well and Fabio for people who don't know he is one of the founders of the team alliance he's a jiu jitsu legend he's in the hall of fame of the IGJF for black belt world titles and incredible coach so it was a really cool interview and it's interesting that Pedro was sharing a story between uh, Fabio and Higson that he witnessed and that was cool that Fabio was talking about the same experience from you know, his point of view. but apparently this this happens this happened in some somewhere in the early 90s when he went to visit Higson in LA for I don't know if it was the first time or first time I've trained in a long time. I don't know. but he mentioned to Pedro, yeah, I haven't been challenged yet at my school for some time, haven't tapped in a while, and Pedro said, "Well, this is about to change tonight," <laughs> and it did change. So that was really cool. His he Fabio spoke highly about him, how tech, he, how technically far ahead of everyone he was back then, and Pedro shared stories too. So it's really cool. I uh, hope you you guys enjoyed the interview. Now, still talking about Fabio, I want to share some jujitsu history with you sometimes i forget i've seen so many things and been training i started i started in 1989 so around that time in brazil late 80s and 90s there was a lot of like street fights and jiu-jitsu had a really bad reputation in rio i can say for brazil because i mean the, the hot spot for jiu-jitsu was real however until 1991 Jiu-Jitsu was not well known in Brazil, as maybe people think that everyone knew. Until the the 1991, there's a special event called uh, Vale Tudo. Vale Tudo, that means for people who don't know, no holds bar, anything goes, no time limit or gloves or whatnot. And Fabio Gugel was part of this event that took place in 1991 that really changed the direction of jiu-jitsu in Brazil. So I want to share a little bit of the stories. So, so I asked him about about this event and how was the experience. So all this started I guess some some somewhere around that time, Valide Ismail. Valid Mayu back then he was a brown belt under Carlson Gracie. Eventually for people maybe are familiar with with him, fought MMA, fought even I think fought in UFC and, and pride, but he's the one the competed against Hoist Gracie and ended up actually winning, uh, choking him, uh, choking him out and, and stuff. So he got some, uh, I think he got a little more, got more notice when, when this happened. But anyway, this this match with Royce was in 1998. So this was back in 1991. So he went to the press and he was, he put out an open challenge that Jiu was the best martial art. And that's kind of how things were in, in the nineties. In the last time they had a valetudo in rio it was 1984 and hickson gracie fought and it was hickson's i i believe it was hickson's last fight in brazil so they had no fights in rio for a long time so Validio went to Valigio went to the press and he always had what really good marketing he was he, he was a talker and he always find himself in TVs and stuff, and then he put the, the challenge out. And then the Luta Livre group. So Luta Livre is basically no-gi grappling, and a lot of guys that practice other martial arts, especially stand-up arts and stuff. And so there was the rivalry back then was the gi-no-gi no gi type of deal. And, and they actually got a big group and went to a jiu-jitsu tournament called Copa Nastra. And they took a bunch of people and kind of invaded the tournament. And, but they nothing happened and no fight broke out there but that's where they decided okay we, we accept the challenge and this is going to happen so the so the fight so they scheduled four fights and that was back in so the date was September 26 1991 and they scheduled four fights and unfortunately one of the fights one of the fighters got injured and dropped out so that was three fights so i was 16 back then i was a brand new Bluebell, and I remember I lived about 15 minute walking from, from the venue called Grajaú Country Club. And my family was a member of that, and I couldn't could go there. It's a, um, just a place that they have pools and a court and stuff like that. But anyway, uh, I couldn't get in, and there's like thousands of people outside and inside packed. And I couldn't really watch, so I went back home. And then the biggest TV channel in Brazil called Global actually broadcast that maybe an hour later or something from when the fight happened. And that was a huge deal because that was the biggest channel in Brazil. And so the first fight was Valide Ismail against Eugenio Tadeo. Eugenio actually fought in UFC at one point. Old school guy, he was part of the 1984 uh, Valitudo in Rio, too, so super tough dude, and the fight was the most violent one, and that was just, the funny thing is that listening to the commentators, and, and they talk about the rules before, they say it's supposed to be open hand, <laughs> and there was like from the gecko there, like punching and and headbutt, and, and the announcer saying like, well, they're not supposed to be doing a uh, close fist as Valid just like headbutting him. So that was pretty funny. And it was a brutal fight and Valid won. So Jiu Jitsu won the first one. And then second was Murilo Bussamante. What people don't know, Murilo is a legend. At one point he was a UFC uh, middleweight champion, I believe. And Jiu Jitsu world champion, one of, yeah, one of the best ever in Jiu Jitsu. So he was super calm. I actually interviewed him before. Uh, maybe a few months ago, I interviewed him in Portuguese too, so I did ask about this event. So he talked about he completely dominated the fight, so it was 2-0. And then the, the third fight was Fabio Gugel. Fabio Gugel against Denilson Maia, I believe his name. Big dude, and, and Fabio, man, it looked incredible. He was It was kind of like the most technical, even though I think he finished from strikes from the mount, but like how he showed you how Great, his jiu-jitsu was so jiu-jitsu won all three matches, and after that, jiu-jitsu skyrocketed in Rio. That was really what really took off because people did not really didn't know, and now two years after, Hoys in the UFC. So now the word got out and more about jiu-jitsu in in u.s to the world. with the UFC. 1993, also they had the very first Brazilian national jiu-jitsu tournament that was not by CBJJ yet. It was actually my coach, Andre promoted. 1994, CBJJ was created, the first official nationals. 1996 was the very first IBJJF Worlds. And that's where we're at right now. And all started really the, a huge spark it was the 1991 Valituro. And it's so cool for me to have an opportunity to interview those guys that participated and how tense, you know, imagine, it's not like how it is today. That was like, it, there's no really much money involved. It was just pride and it was crazy. So now imagine if all three guys from Jiu Jitsu lost and then two years later, Hoist lost. I don't know if you'd be training Jiu Jitsu right now, I'll tell you what, because things would be very different. So we definitely need to be appreciative of everyone who paved the way, who really fought and got put their face there to, to get where Jiu Jitsu is today. And respect, that's why, my, especially in my Jiu Jitsu podcast in Portuguese, I interview a lot of the old school guys that people don't know about it. They're the, the stars in the eighties and nineties that people don't know and people forgetting the incredible guys that paved the way to be where we at today. So hopefully you enjoy this little bit of jujitsu history. That's just my version. If someone maybe believes I, have, I said something wrong, please you know let me know. But this is kind of like what I remember that living. Maybe I don't get all the details right, but I, that's what I know gathered on interviewing people. So I hopefully you enjoy the interview. Mm -hmm. The BJJ Mental Coach Podcast is a proud supporter of the non-profit organization Jiu-Jitsu Tribe, formerly Live Jiu-Jitsu. Jiu-Jitsu Tribe supports social projects who offer free Jiu-Jitsu classes to unprivileged children and young adults in impoverished communities, inspiring, impacting, and improving their lives, keeping them away from drugs and crime, creating hope, and creating champions on and off the mats. Your donation helps projects to pay for their monthly expenses and facility makeovers. As a supporter, the BJJ Metal Coach donate all the profit of all online courses and merchandise to Jiu-Jitsu Tribe. For more information, please visit wwwjiu tribeorg Let me introduce you to today's guest, Pedro Sauer. Pedro is an eighth degree core belt under Hicks and Gracie. He is the founder of the Pedro Sauer Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Association, which has become one of the largest and most respected associations in the world. Currently, they have 150 affiliates across the globe, 9,000 registered students, and over 200 black belts under him. Master Pedro Sauer, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Gustavo. appreciate that. My pleasure. Yeah, it's an honor to have you here. And you you're one of the first Brazilians who came in the, the 80s. And I I I, I, I believe the beginning, of maybe the early 90s, but you know, the, the first group that started coming to the US to develop jiu-jitsu here. So um I'd love to hear more about the beginning, the early days. But before we get to that, let's talk about how martial arts got into your life. And then eventually, how jiu-jitsu show up in your life? Okay, uh, no. I don't, I don't well, see there you go.
2: There you we go. Well, I, you know, I came to America in uh, in May of 1990. Okay. Uh, that was the date that I came to America. I came right after Hickson. Uh, Hickson came in in begin late of '88, begin of '89. That's when Hickson established in Los Angeles, and uh, yeah. I was pretty much, Hicks was a good friend. We used to grow up together. Uh, we, we grew up in, in Flamengo since we were little young kids. I remember Hickson, the first time he was still a, a green belt. The first time I, we saw him on the mat. and I, I couldn't believe uh, what Hickson was doing. I was so in shock the first time that I saw the training. And I was like, no, I'm never going to do this. this. This is not for me. This is kind of crazy. You guys going to break your neck. I, that was my kind of you know, dream kind of nightmare kind of thought. And uh, anyway, it took me a few years to, to get back to the academy, to get back to the academy in in Rio Branco with Elio Gracie. And uh, when I arrived there, Elio was, uh, he was pretty much the head instructor. He was hands on every single night, uh, kicked my butt so many times. He twisted me pretty good. I was a a pretty wild kid uh, growing up in Brazil, you know, in Flamengo. Uh, didn't have uh, uh, the best friendships on the streets, that you can say. So, Elio was the one who kind of put him in a good spot. But uh, anyway, I came to America in May of 1990, right after Hickson. And uh, I came here with Elio. Uh, basically, we arrived almost the same uh, same week. And uh, I went to, I stayed at Hickson's house. And me, Elio, and Limon, we used to share the garage. Mm. We used to sleep in the garage for about six months there in Los Angeles. It was a very tough beginning.
1: Yeah, I can't, I can't imagine. Now, when, were, uh, so in what moment did you go to Utah?
2: I moved to Utah in December of 1990 because those six months that I spent in California, I, I learned how to speak Spanish, but I didn't learn no English at all. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought about, man, if I'm, gonna, if I'm gonna be somebody in this country, I gotta learn the language. And by right now I'm just surrounded by Brazilians, and it was a tough environment, too. In the beginning, it was a, a bunch of Brazilians. And, uh, and it was a tons of black belts, uh, good brown belts. Limon was a purple belt at the time. But Paulo Barroso was a brown belt. Hanzo, it was, he just arrived here. The Machado brothers and Hoyle, they arrived here, too. So, so that, that's in the beginning. There was mainly guys' black belts, but we didn't have no students. There was nobody for us to teach. We used to have only a few private classes here and there. Hicks, we used to get busy with private class. It was very affordable, the private class. was like 20 bucks for half an hour or something like that. It was super affordable. It was, uh, we all kind of had a very hard life in the beginning. It was very difficult, not easy at
1: all. Yeah, now, how was the beginning back in California? We've got the famous crazy challenges and uh, all the trainer garage, the, all the, the challenges they have going to other schools or inviting people to come over. So is that something that in Brazil, you already got involved with that that kind of training too, or you picked up more in US? Of course, as a trainer, was part of the self-defense and everything, but as far as like the challenges start to get busier with that for you was when you got in US?
2: Yes, got really busy. Because what happened here in America, uh, that's what I discovered when I came to America. Uh, I I was training Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil since the seventies. And over in Brazil, uh, everybody who trained jujitsu somehow had a, a little, he had a little understanding, knew how to dance a little bit. Even though the guy was a brand new guy, maybe he had never seen, but he, maybe he had an uncle who trained jujitsu. he had a, a brother who trained Jiu before. Uh, it was not like a fresh, complete fresh. And uh, when we moved to America, we discovered they fresh guys. And, and those guys were super dangerous because they knew some wrestling, they knew a lot of karate, a lot of Kung Fu, but zero idea about grappling. They knew a little bit of wrestling, but you know, wrestling was a very kind of physically uh, more demanding, it was not so much strategy on surviving. It was go, 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 because you know you do wrestling when you're young kids. So you just press play and you just go hosting. One thing that I can tell that helped us tremendously on the beginning was the self-defense part of Jiu-Jitsu that Elio Grace make us do back in, in in downtown rio de janeiro downtown academy we used to train the most unpredictable situations uh, every single day we have to do the self-defense the whole entire curriculum Helio grace curriculum all the program in the textbook so we did the, the, the self-defense life video like a life people try to club you or, or chain or knife it was it was a pretty much life video deal in full speed to and that moment, I, I can tell without a doubt, Gustavo, that's the time that I appreciate the most the self-defense was when I started dealing with those guys that was completely unpredictable. That means they you put somebody in your guard and the guy doesn't thought about pass your guard. The guy just got up and decided to do a somersault or decide to jump or decide to flip backward. Complete crazy. Hmm. But you know, some people did that. And, and if you don't, if you're not aware of self-defense. Man, we got hurt pretty big, like really bad. A lot of people got hurt in the beginning because you deal with somebody that speak different language—not just a verbal language, but body language—and and they don't have to. Accommodate, they didn't know how to accommodate jujitsu. They just decide to do an anti jitsu and that was a super challenge for us in the beginning, especially if you're a small person. You know, if you're giving up size, that Andy was like, you know, hey. If somebody's twice the size, you know, you don't embarrass me. you got to make him say uncle. <laughs> 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 and that's how it was. The old man was over there. Look, and, you know, he was right there breathing, right over here. And it was very much it was no joke. It was no mess around. It was no joke. It had to represent the arts. So that's how we arrived here in America. It was uh, basically hoarding, put a, a, a free uh, it was a magazine that kind of come up with some kind of challenge. And why do you offer like $100,000 for whoever could beat a jiu-jitsu black belt? And uh, man, at that moment on, for about a couple of years, we had an open challenge match almost every day. Wow. Yeah, it was a pretty tough deal. I remember driving my car to the academy, and I looked to my seat, and I, I, like, I forgot the boxing gloves. So I had to turn around, do a U-turn, and go back, pick up boxing gloves, because I never knew who was going to show up in class with a friend who was going to challenge.
1: Now, do you remember your first match in the school? And how how did you feel mentally going in, you know, going for that first challenge?
2: Well, I got to say, uh, I did a lot of challenges in Brazil. Uh, a, a lot of, uh, in Brazil, I was prepared, uh, at a downtown religion, a downtown academy, and you prepare us for challenge right there. I used to bribe people. On the streets to come to the academy and to try to fight us. And what I used to do, uh, I remember a construction a business. Right in the wood over door, uh, what the Grace Academy, you know, the end of the Grace Academy kind of face was 18 storage high, 18 18 floor. It was a building that was getting built, was getting built and six eight months later, the building was the same height, 18th floor. So all the workers start looking inside, and I was like, "Hey, come on in." How much you guys make today? Oh, I make 10 bucks. I'll give you guys 20 bucks. But you gotta hold those guys over here. You gotta put those guys in the headlock zone. Cannot let those guys escape. Gustavo, at the moment on, I can tell you without a doubt, Grand was testing us for the unpredictable moves. And I was so glad (laughs) to be be in that situation,
1: to be put in that situation. And what was some of the uh... Some of the matches that really stood out for you when you look back, and for any way you you want, it could be maybe because it was very difficult, or for whatever reason uh, it caught your attention and you remember well.
2: Well, the toughest match that I had when I when I when I when I moved to America was with a wrestler. His name was Mark Schultz. You know, and uh, before before me, Mark Mark Schultz uh, have a, a wrestling match. Um, Mark trained with Hickson. Uh, Hickson came to visit me in Utah. And when he arrived in Utah, the guy who was putting the seminar together put an open challenge for anybody in town to come to challenge Hickson and myself. And we had a several people that came, that shows up with the magazines, offering them the money. And they say, listen, the money is there, but you gotta put 10,000. If you wanna make 100,000, you gotta put 10.
1: But because you're already here,
2: go ahead and put a box and gloves, and we do for free. No money involved. And that's how that's how was the catch. It was this. So Mark Schultz was on the toughest matches that I had in year, To be honest, he was an unbelievable talent guy. Uh he knew wrestling and he was such a vicious guy. And he learned Jiu-Jitsu pretty good too because you get an Olympic gold medal in wrestling, you show him a half dozen of moves, he's a nightmare. So Mark was a guy who was a, a white belt in Jiu-Jitsu but he used to tap he couldn't tap a black belt.
1: Incredible. And what around what year did things start to calm down as far as like, the challenges? When did it start to calm down?
2: The calm down started, I want to say, after Hoyce fought the UFC, UFC 1, 2, 3, we had have, have many challenges coming to the Canada. So, 93, 94, I believe the challenge, the, the tough matches start slowing down in 97, 98, 99, a little bit later. That's when people start to be more educated. And uh, Hordeon put a lot of uh, videos on Blockbuster. And uh, what happened that I used to go to the Blockbuster, all the Blockbuster in town, and put my business cards uh, on every Blockbuster nice. uh, videos. <laughs> magazines, I used to put magazines. But on the, be- on the beginning, it was horrible advertising. It's like, you know, if you want to get your face smashed, if you want to get your arm broke, <laughs> if you want go, to go put it to sleep, contact this address here. <laughs> that was not a good idea. <laughs>
1: Now, how was the process for you as an entrepreneur, as a business owner to start taking the school? And then again, things started to calm down and then now we're treating more like, okay, now this is over. How was for you this transition? I think you work uh, as a stockbroker maybe in in Brazil, yeah. So now we're doing something that you basically run in your business. Did you have anyone helping you with that? How was the, the process?
2: Yeah, in the beginning it was very difficult because I didn't spoke any English. When I moved to America, I, I moved to America with zero, zero English. So I couldn't speak a word in English. I knew where is the bathroom, I'm hungry, and do like this. <laughs> Those are the only words that I knew. So in the beginning, I have a lot of help. I had a, a, a bookkeeper that helped me out in the beginning. Uh, I had my wife to help me out. I have tons of people that help me out. And uh, what happened that with, my, with my mentality of a stockbroker, I I was able, I, I worked as a broker for 12 years and I worked in a very good bank in Brazil. Very, very, one of the best banks there was, a, it used to be the old Atlantica Boa Vista, Bradesco. Mm-hmm. And I worked with all the, the president and vice president of the Bradesco. Those are the guys who kind of got me in. Antonio Carlos Almeida Braga, you know, the guy who helped Ayrton Senna Braguinha, who passed away beginning of this year. And uh, he was, a, it was a good part of the, of my first job in a, Uh, working in a stock market and what happened that I noticed a lot of people that work in stock markets they got filthy millionaire very quickly. I watched people making money left and right but there was something that I could not do it. It was the principle of honesty. Mm -hmm. I could not take advantage of people or or, you know snuggle myself and kind of be sneaky. Everything that I did I did by the book because I had like know. Uh, I came from a family that uh, my mom was very disciplinary. My dad was very disciplinary, very proper. And he said, you know, you do things honestly by the book. I left for you a clean name. You better leave a clean name for your kids and your grandkids, don't you ever disappoint. me. So that stuff stuck with me forever. I couldn't do it. So I worked all years as a broker and I learned as a broker, that uh, if you decide to 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 make a lot of money, yeah, you're gonna be rich very quickly. But you you gonna you gonna you gonna be sneaky. You have to be sneaky. You have to you have to take advantage of others. Or you could make a, a, a fair transactions. You could be very fair all the time. And instead, you just score one time. You score hundred of times, but little little time scores. So you make tiny little money. Uh, pulverize, instead just gouge the money and just be rich right away. And after that, you have this bad reputation. So I transferred that to Jiu Jitsu and uh, I formed in 1992, I formed the first Jiu Jitsu Association. I I started teaching a guy from uh, Virginia Beach. His name was Frank Cucci, one of my first students from, from, he was a Navy SEAL from Virginia Beach. And he fell in love with Jiu Jitsu. He was a very uh, dedicated martial arts. And after that, uh, he wants to, to be affiliated. And I was like, I don't even know how to do that. How do you mean affiliate? Well, you can open some kind of franchise. It's like, ah, I don't know if you can open a franchise because I'm the first known Gracie to open a Gracie Academy in Utah. And I didn't know how was the franchise. So what happened is I say, listen, you don't need to have a franchise, but what I do, I'll teach you. I will go to your place uh, once a month for five days. So every month for five days, I started going to Virginia Beach. And over there, I met a whole bunch of Native Seals. I met uh, Jeff Curran, that was another MMA fighter, great particular. I met Greg Nelson, that was another unbelievable martial arts. And I met tons of people there at Frank Hood School. And that's the beginning of the association. And after a few years, I had already, when I had a 34 academies affiliated under me, Hickson, he decided to open his first American Jiu-Jitsu Association, Hickson Racing, and I, I went to everybody, and I told guys, I don't know about you guys, but I'm going to tell what I'm going to do. Pedro found Association, for now, from now on, it is finito, it's not happening anymore, and I'm going to affiliate myself with Hickson, and I advise you guys to do the same thing. Come with me, I'll be under Hickson. And that's what we did. We finished the association in 1994. So from 1994 until 2001, there was no Pedro Sal Association. Uh, we start again uh, after 2001 because Hoxl passed away in 2000. And uh, it was so difficult. And Hicks was, was such a difficult time for Hickson, difficult time for, for Kim. Uh, it, it was very difficult time. So what happened is, I a lot of people's requests to professor, I want to train, you know, but I cannot find hickson so I cannot find. Now what I'm gonna do is say, you know what, don't worry, I'll keep, I'll, I'll do seminars. I keep, I keep make sure they will keep teaching you guys. And uh, worth time, hickson pretty much uh, let go of his association, and I start up again the Pedrosa Association. And us, after 2001, we start all the schools. And the secret for this Gustavo is to make sure that everybody's happy. That's the whole
1: secret. <laughs> which is not <laughs> which an easy thing.
2: <laughs> it is tricky. And, and a lot of time it revolves around money, revolves uh, uh, with a status, you know, which who you are. So I try to bring everybody up. I try to put everybody at the level, uh, you know, I'm just a normal guy, I'm a complete normal guy. I have a 100% normal life. Uh, father of seven, you know, I have wow. 40 grandkids on the way, so I'm a completely normal guy and I try to bring everybody with me and that's something that a lot of people that we get as a black belt as a shocker we put ourselves a little bit above, uh, above people and that's a bad example to set up because when we start producing black belts and they, they feel the same way too, they, they feel that they got over there if they see that you are, you a black belt, you are, you know, fifth degree, sixth degree, coral belt, whatever, you climb, climb it up, but you're still very kind of mild, very kind of honest, very kind of uh, friendly with everybody. They follow the same example. And that's the, that's what they did.
1: That's awesome. Now, uh, just trying to learn more about how your process of becoming an entrepreneur, becoming a, a business person. So when you came, so when you came back, and then start to reorganize the association. What do you think that looking now, of course, you did the best you could with all the knowledge and awareness that I had at that moment, but looking back, what would be something that you, you would have done differently as far as running the business? Things that you know, people maybe take consideration, maybe some business owners who have, not just if they teach you just or not, but they have other businesses and they have to be, Responsible for multiple uh, schools. And so, looking back, what do you think you would have done different, if anything?
2: Well, I got to tell you uh, the secret that I noticed that happened in our association was a curriculum. I can tell without a doubt that us as a Brazilian, we learned Jiu Jitsu in Brazil with uh, the curriculum was completely, it was kind of mixed. It was sometimes it was not even curriculum. We just come to class, and we spar, we grab, we have fun. But the, the lack of curriculum, what happens is that you build holes. you got a, many holes in your game, and you pay the price later down the road. Uh, the curriculum allows you to cover all those holes and give the opportunity to every single person to progress to the rank in a very fair, in a very effective way, and does not require the guy to be a specious, like, you know, a wrestler, a uh, wrestler. Uh, 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 you know, Olympic wrestler or somebody who's kind of an incredible talent guy. Oh, this guy's going to be a black belt. I, I decided to do it different. I decided to do I put the responsibility on the black belt, but not for himself. But I want to see what the black belt can do for others. That was the difference. And the moment I put this, Gustavo, I can tell without a doubt, the association exploded because um, when you don't think about yourself, and you think about the other ones. What well, that You you start sharing moves. You you start following curriculum by the book because you want to make sure that everybody follow footsteps. So I think that's one of the, the mistakes that I did in the past. Uh, uh, you know, you always trust people. Sometimes you always do things. Uh, you know, you you believe in people. You you, and and of course you always have somebody that here and there that kind of you know let you down mm-hmm. or some people who kind of decide to do his own way. And of course, that hurt us because martial arts is a, is a very trust, is a, is a very uh, powerful exchanging of uh, trust between each other. And we want to build longevity. And uh, I believe that uh, longevity is the most important part for us in, in martial arts because uh, it's easy to get a new student, but it's hard to keep the guy motivated class. Yeah. When you switch that and you keep the guys motivated to class and you don't pay attention too much about the new guys who come in, especially when they come in with different academies. Uh, Believe it or not, uh, the association today with 150 schools, I believe I have maybe two or three schools that uh, the Black Belts, they are not made by me
1: from 150. It's incredible. And now, what about struggles of course you've been through ups and downs like any other business owner what are some of the struggles What are the toughest ones that you went through and what did you learn from this experience
2: well we do a lot of struggle struggling is something that uh, we tried so much things so many trying errors we think that you know on the early days you can put an advertisement and people's going to come to your door yeah. and it's not the way. that's not the way it works uh martial arts uh, it's super important for you to have a good lineage because the students will follow the same footsteps that we do. You know, the, the, we, every day we open the doors, we have a student that sat a brand new white belt, pretty soon they climb up, they climb up, they climb up, pretty soon they good blue, purple, brown belt, pretty soon they're giving us hard time or giving all the top notch guys hard time. And the guy look at you say, oh, you know, Gustavo, uh, I think I'm gonna open my own school. I'm gonna do my own thing and I'm gonna do things by myself. And uh, by the way, this guy over there offered me a black belt, and the guy goes in, take it. This happened to me uh, when I moved to America. I, I used to have a student, of course, I'm, I never mentioned names, but uh, I had a student that was my highest ranked brown belt, second degree. And he went to Brazil for a, a seminar and came back wearing a black belt. And uh, when he came back as a black belt, you know, of course, everybody at school kind of, hey, come on, man. Like, how, you, how, you, how do you accept a black belt from a guy who that, uh, you know, you're just very mad. You spent eight and a half years in this location. He learning Jiu-Jitsu. In, in one weekend, you get a black belt and you put it on. And uh, that's, that's kind of a, a things that happen. And, and it's very tricky. Because uh, you cannot do nothing. If, if you accept the belt, hey, this is your new structure. But the problem is when you open your own school, your own association, you have, you're gonna to have tons of people follow your footsteps. <laughs> yeah.
1: You're
2: gonna do just like it.
1: That is true. Now, I know you've been training with training the with Hickson for so many years and having been exposed to so many incredible black belts, what do you feel that is different about Hickson, That you had opportunity to to live and experience not only you hands-on, but like you watching what he is doing to the people. What do you feel that it makes the the biggest difference in on his jujitsu?
2: Yeah, Hickson's personality. You know, he's a he's a super nice guy. A lot of you know some people. If you look facial you look at the, the face uh, looks like another you know, demeanor sometimes he should look like can be a little bit intimidated kind of guy or tough or kind of, but he is the nicest guy you will ever come across he has a heart that does not fit on his cage and he's, he's just a huge heart he does not give up you cannot make the guy give up then. it's impossible to make him give up and he's a super bright guy very bright brilliant mind very smart, uh, you know, he's uh, got incredible amount of experience and travel all over the world, got the chance to meet people everywhere. And as a, as a kid, I was impressed with, right, uh, with Higgs as a kid, right in the beginning when I met him, I couldn't believe it. A guy of my age, because we're the same age. And uh, I remember watching Hicks get getting in a fight one time on the streets. And I was like, my gosh, Hicks was like 15 years old. He just fought with this marina, and this marina was shredded like a big fit guy. And Hickson just demolished him. And, and for us as a kid, it was like, what in the hell? You got? What is this, man? How, oh, this is called the Jiu-Jitsu. We... I have no idea what this is about, no idea. And that's how Hickson was. He's just a, a tremendously nice guy, uh, incredible talent. Uh, he's a super giving person. He he will take the, the shirt off his, his body to give to you. He's, he shared food with you he is a great guy. i cannot even tell how nice the guy is if, if people really came to find out how nice he is it is just a, a unbelievable but on the mat yeah. it's like a training with a, with, a, uh, with a bear and with a skillful bear it, it is you cannot do nothing with style. it is a it is a, a unbelievable humbling experience and i watched hickson Demoralized so many black belts before. Oh, my goodness. I remember when uh, um, 1990, if I'm not mistaken, it's going to be July of 1990. I had I was in America for a couple of months, and uh, Fabinho uh, Gurgel mm-hmm. came from, from Brazil, and Fabio was tough as could be. Fabio, was, when he was young, because Fabi was a big kid as a young, he was kind of stocky. Uh, he was a Jacaré student. Mm-hmm. And Fabi was very talented, beautiful jiu-jitsu, tough guy too. He used to come to the Corpo Quattro uh, to train once in a while and uh, grappling. And and I, I always liked Fabi, he's a great guy, great, great guy too, super nice. Love the dude. And when he arrived in America, he told me, Oh, Pedrinho, you know, I have no tapped for almost five years, I have not tat. I say, Fabio, you get ready, my friend, because tonight he's going to be a different story. It's like, what do you mean? I said, oh, you wait. Man. You wait. Hickson, man, it's different. I just want to warn you. You know, Hickson's is very, very smooth, man. So I watched Fabio and Hickson train, and my goodness. You know, it was like nothing. Walked like nothing.
1: Yeah, I had a, a, I interviewed Fabio last week, matter of fact. And then he mentioned about that experience too, the, that was incredible. Definitely, he was. Hickson was just really ahead of time and, and with everyone. And he's saying too, like seminars that have seen he going with multiple black belts back to back and be able to handle. It. And I think was I was I did an interview with Marcelo Alonso. For people who don't know, uh, the photographer. Uh, in Brazil, and then he was, he was mentioning that he was covering one of the events that Higson wasn't, wasn't back in Brazil for quite some time, so they had like a big event, and I think one day he came to a school and like enrolled with like over 20 black belts, said that he did really train with everyone, saying like, man, no one told me like I saw, you know, that, and what he was doing with high-level guys that people did not expect that. Unbelievable.
2: I, he told me about the train. He went to Gracie Barra, uh, apparently, and Carlinhos asked him yeah. to train of all the top guys that was winning tournaments back back to back, cleaned up the house. Hickson goes there and just step everyone, mounted everybody. Nobody could escape from Hickson's mount. And then he switched. He escaped from everyone and tapped everyone. It is. It is out of this world. And Hickson, I, I tell him that when he born, he born to the elbow scape
1: through his mother <laughs> wound. <laughs> it's incredible. What about, what about with Elio Gracie? What are the, uh, the main lessons that you got from him? Not like jujitsu lessons, but life lessons that you carry to this day?
2: Oh man, many, many lessons. I got to tell that Elio was the guy who kind of shaped my personality from the beginning. I told her I was a little bit more wild when I was a kid. I grew up in a, in a kind of rough environment. Uh, basically, I, I grew up in the streets and Flamin was, an uh, was not an easy place for me to grow up. We used to have like a, a lot of uh, people that, uh, crazy fighters. Uh, since the time, you, you heard about Madame Satan? Mm-hmm. Yes. yes. Say Madame Satan used to live on the same street that my school. <laughs> in <Yeah>. Catechi, who was Martins. And uh, I watched that guy when a, as a little kid uh, punching a huge piece of meat, and, and completely grinded the meat. Um, and and you, when you grow up in an environment like this, it's pretty rough. And Elio Grace has his first school in Flamengo, uh, at Rua uh, Marqueja Branche. That's his first academy. So we had a lot of people from Flamengo. Used to have another guy. His name was Massiste,
0: was another crazy tough guy.
2: Uh, Marco Ruas, me and Marco Ruas, we test for for yellow belt in Madureira oh,
0: cool.
2: when we were just little kids. Uh, we used to do Taekwondo together. I used to train Taekwondo at the uh, Praça José de Alencar in academy with Yo-Jai uh, Lee. But uh, elio he basically shaped up all of us. Anybody who has a chance to, to be around elio you grow up to be a better person. You, you got a good lesson. With elio you could not say maybe. You have to say yes or no he never said maybe he didn't accept excuse like you know no excuses. you know he was pretty uh, pretty determined individual my mom was trying to buy a piece of property uh many many years ago and uh ellie was saying, pedrinho come here i'm gonna sell a piece of property for, for your mom for your family the same way i'm gonna be selling for one of my kids so we, we go to ellie's house uh, seven o'clock in the morning at the the valley in in Taipava. When we arrived there seven in the morning, Eddie was already working, digging a lake himself. He was digging with a a yellow cover Then it was raining and he was digging in the rain, seven o'clock in the morning. And he got up, took his yellow uh, uh, rain jacket off, got in the car with us, we went there to see the property. Um, He was a very good friend of my mom. Elio and my mom, they used to be friends forever. Actually, they died the same day oh, of the wow. same year. Wow. Yeah, six hours apart.
1: Yeah. That's crazy.
2: Yeah. November 20th, uh, January 29th of 2009. They both died the same day. And Anyway, lessons with, with Grandmaster Master Elio was, was incredible. Uh, he made me be a man. He made me be an honest man. He made me be an a honorable man. There was no way you could look at Elio Grace and say, tell... Any kind of smart-ass advantage that he did, mm-hmm. he never put up with nothing like that. It has to be by the book. So he made us.
1: And what about one of the best piece of advice you've ever received, maybe from him, or if not from him, anyone that comes to your mind that really stood out and it's advice a that you carry for your whole life?
2: Well, honor. I used to have a very strong... Honor, honor you have to be honorable person and that's something that I learned from Ellio. If men without the honor cannot it, no we, we are very fragile without honor. So honor was something that he, he made me believe he made me dig, he made me cherish uh, integrity you know he made me be very by the book. every time that I, I you know imagine I was a little kid I was probably 15 years old. So from 15 until 32, I, I saw him every day. Wow. You know, and he, he, I gotta tell honestly, he, he twist my arm, twist my neck, kick my butt so many times. Oh, so when I was a kid growing up, I was a complete ADD. I'd been expelled from 12 different schools. <laughs> I could not stop stealing. I was totally hyper. And my mom told Elio, oh, Pedro is this, Pedro is that. Pedro cannot do this, Pedro cannot do that. Oh, my God, Elio, I don't know what to do with Pedro. And Elio's was like, meh, Pedro doesn't look that crazy for me. If I give him a $100 bill, do you think you eat it or you put it in his pocket? And my mom said, oh, Elio, you put it in his pocket. I can still fix him. If you put it in his, if you eat it, I cannot fix him. But if you put it in his pocket, leave him with me. And at one time, we were grappling in downtown, at the Grace Academy downtown, 18 stories high, and uh, he got in the mount position. I, uh, uh, he passed my guard, cross body mount. And uh, when he was in the mount position, I was trying to get out. So I, I tried to get out here, push here, push there. Tried to escape, tried to escape again. Both sides, I escaped, and uh, he, I could not budge him. He was there, stuck in the mount position, could not budge him. And he looked at me and say, "Oh, you think you're crazy?" And later, I looked to his eyes like this, I'm like, what? I, it took me completely out of my, out of my, because I was in an hour of pilots, trying to escape. Pretty soon, he thought, oh, you think you're crazy? You can trick your mom and your parents, with son, Fagan, but you don't trick me. <laughs> <laughs> and I've after that day, I was scared. I was afraid because I used to trick people. That's what I used to do. I used to pretend I was crazy. So I walk in schools and I see the biggest guy and I go down to the guy and punch him right in the nose because that's what my older brother told me. Hey, if you get into school, you punch the toughest one. Everybody else is gonna respect you. Okay. And you go there and do stupid things like this. Until I met Grandmaster. And after that, I was so in shock because I I was not, first of all, I was learning jujitsu, And I got so terrified on, on my beginning of jiu-jitsu because I got spanked by Hoyler. Hoyle was a little kid. Hoyle was a little boy, man. I got spanked by Hoys, little kids. Uh kicked my butt left and right. And I was a brand new kid training. So I was scared of people. You know, after being crazy guy, tough guy, being 12 different schools, poor so like, oh my goodness, how many people know Jiu Jitsu? I, I never I never thought about that. Thank you God I never I never encountered Jiu Jitsu. But I did encounter Jiu-Jitsu guy in my school in Ateneo San Luis. I encountered crawling,
0: mm.
2: mean crawling, crawling crazy. We went to the same school, same classroom, and I t- told him uh, first day of class. I walk in my classroom. I was very no, uh, uh, how called? Uh, I couldn't pass the year. I have to kind of
1: do the same year back again. Yeah, happy you yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, to fail whatever grade. I, I, I did the same, too. I failed uh, seventh grade. Yeah. So I had to do it again, too.
2: <laughs> yep. So I, I did fail many times, many times, four times, to be To be honest, because I was so hyper and I could not stop still. I could not stop still. So when I saw Crawley in my classroom, he was sitting on my desk and I used to have my name engraved on the desk. <laughs> And I say, hey, you, get the hell out of here. That's my, my, that's my seat. And Crowley look at me, pick up his stuff, moved on the other seat, quiet in the not a word. And later the teacher, hey, you know, so, 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 so Crowley and Gracie. And I look around, I was like, holy cow, must be some Gracie guy. So I went, I went there to ask him if he was Hicks's brother. He's like, no, no, I'm his cousin. Well, next day, I was in a fight with Crowley, right next day. And Cronin just flipped it, put put me in the stomach, and just hold me there and just smile. I couldn't do nothing.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's how I got introduced
2: pretty much to, to, to the jujitsu environment.
1: <laughs> now, talking about all your experience training with uh, Master Alio, and what are some of the main, main concepts that you share with brand new people? Some of the conversations you have, someone's starting, and you want to just kind of given a uh, you know, share some of uh, your wisdom with them. So, what are some of the things that you like to share from the brand new people? Because we do have people who listen to podcasts are brand new. There are a lot of white belts. People just started. A lot of people have been training a long time. But what are some of the things that you you like to share with them right right at the beginning?
2: Well, the number one is don't get hurt. Don't grapple too early. Don't go to for, for the full grappling because what happens? We have a muscle memory and uh, when when, when you start grappling and your muscle memory is not educated, you do awkward things. And those awkward things can result in injuries, Uh, not just for yourself, but for somebody else too. So my advice for a new guy is to avoid sparring until you understand and and you have a a good foundation, at least a safe foundation. Know the the, the correct way to to have a good posture, the correct attack early, you know, be careful with your joint, don't don't let your, your joint hyper-extend, don't resist too much neck pressure because a neck, you know, somebody's brand new guy, the neck's not, you know, it's not well-developed and you try to hold on pretty soon, you, you cannot swallow anymore and you have a hard time to pull. So I, my advice for everybody is like this, learning jujitsu is just like to learn how to drive a high-performance car. You want to drive a high-performance car, you have to, first of all, you have to start with a skinny tires and low horsepower. The skinny tires and low horsepower is going to allow you to start feel how the car will, will, will kind of perform on the, on the track. So you learn how, how to because you, you drive very slow and the car is driving, drifting, drifting very slow. So it's a lot more friendly. The drift is a lot more mild. And after that, you put bigger tires, bigger tires, bigger tires, and now you get a Formula 1. And now you have a, like an incredible amount of horsepower, you have an incredible amount of, amount of torque, and you have an incredible amount of grip. Well, that moment on, you can start racing a Formula 1. Doesn't mean that you know how to drive yet, but you know that what Formula 1 is capable to do. In Jiu-Jitsu, we give the key of Formula 1 to a brand new student. And we tell him hey if you anything that you feel bad you just hit the break just tap so the tap is the break my advice for everybody in the beginning do not spar until you understand curriculum until you understand mechanics until you've done the program until you're customated how to do the 100 times how to pass the guard 100 times how to do the unlock lock 100 times how to do triangles 100 times how to do choke 100 times. After you understand all those, you start to understand your limitations. Hey, now go ahead and start training, but go slow, even though you, you're gonna turn your muscle memory and you're gonna go fast, you're gonna hold fast, you're gonna use a lot of muscle, but it's still hey, calm down. You have to always remind the guy, calm down, relax, calm down, relax. For a new guy, those are the most important words you can say.
1: For sure. Now, let me ask you this. Do you like reading? Do you have the habit of reading? What how, uh, what kind of content do you like to consume? I don't know if it's maybe podcasts, or TV, documentaries. Uh, so, what do you like? I like documentaries. Uh, I like to study mechanics.
2: I'm a, I'm a very... Um, uh, I came from a family of engineers. Uh, my, my family in Brazil... On the earliest days, like my grandfather had a factory, a gear factory, machine. It used to be in São Cristóbal in Rio de Janeiro, mm-hmm. and he had thirty-five thousand designs of gear trademark.
1: Wow!
2: Yeah, it was the biggest South American factory for gear machinery, and everybody in my family was, was machiners, uh, uh, they, they understood about uh, gears and machine. And today I see jiu-jitsu. I see just like the gears, the way how they, it's just how to use language, that's what it is. You you separate two gears, put two gears together, one is small, the other one is big. You apply uh, torque one side, you got a power on the other side. And I see Jiu-Jitsu the same way, same, same way. It is just the same mechanic. I like a lot of documentaries. I like to, you know, I read books uh, of, uh, I, I like to read mechanic books, that's my hobby. I do a lot of mechanics. Uh, I like to work in Porsches, in the Chevrolet's and, and Volkswagen's. I, by the way, I just restored Grandmaster Helio's car in Brazil. Oh, wow. Yeah, his Passat Iraqi, o Irakiano. <laughs> I just restored brand new car. and Yeah, I, I like to read, I like to watch the commentaries I like to, see, I like to watch Jiu-Jitsu moves. I watch Jiu-Jitsu every day. Hmm. My wife, she said, you are sick. I can't yeah. believe it. you've been doing. It's, this next year is going to be 50 years that I've been putting my gear? Wow! And I, uh, oops, I'm still kind of uh, reading and, and watching. I'm still very. Uh, I love every all the new generations guys. You know, I love to see Andre Galvão. I like to see every Caio uh, Terra uh, Mendes Brothers. Uh, you name it. i uh, Roger Gracie. Anybody, you know the 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 hero and uh chrome. I like to see all the young guys. And I'm, when I'm on the mat, Gustavo, I have a white belt. Oh my I have a white belt tendency. I can see moves from a white belt perspective, from from the beginning, and I can escalate up to core belt, whatever level you can bring it up. But I can escalate. But I like to see from from the basic foundation level and how. I see this move grow and I like to see the strategies. And I I always thought about as a defense, you have to understand the self-defense. When you understand the self-defense, that's give us the practitioners when we grapple. And I wanna try to make you say uncle, when I notice that you miss the point of self-defense, I'm gonna put money in the move. If I notice that you using a good self-defense to stop the move, I'm gonna go for something else. Because I'm not gonna be a lot longer time waiting for you to counterattack me. Because that's how Jiu-Jitsu goes. If you're stubborn, you're just going to Las Vegas and you play playing poker with your cards like this, facing the guys. Hmm. Because you're too stubborn. You know, you stay there too long. So we need to, number one, respect each other. I need to respect your mechanics. I need to respect your moves. The moment you bring good mechanics, I have to respect that. If you bring good mechanics and I don't respect, that's when I pay the price.
1: And it's, it's really cool. I, I started training when you, basically when you moved to the US, I started training in 1989. So I got kind of like the beginning of um, kind of like the more technical revolution where the competition start to happen more. So you were, uh you know, before that in the, in the 80s and being able to see in the 70s, being able to see the tournament. So for, for you, it's gotta be so surreal to remember like, wow, look how that used to be and now how how it is right now. And especially technically, the the evolution, you know? So how do you see that in you know, looking back into, it was fairly everything simple, but competition creates that, you know, people just thinking about different options, different, and what can we do? So how was, uh, how was for you to, to remember the early days and see now like how crazy, especially technically, you know, the moves are, are getting?
2: Mm-hmm. Well, you know, in the early days, it was a lot of tough guys. We used to have a lot of tough guys. And uh, the history of Jiu-Jitsu back in Brazil, Grandmaster Helio his academy was in downtown Rio de Janeiro. So basically his students was not that, it was everybody was workers, you know, everybody were tied. And uh, we, 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 we was not people getting the gym, very fit, very strong. And Halls moved uh, his academy above Carson. So Carson used to be in uh, uh, Figueroa Magalhães, second floor. And Halls moved to the third floor. And what happened over there is that they got all the young generation from the Copacabana Beach, from the Arpoador, the South guys, you know, they, they, a lot of fit people, they arrive to the school. Those guys start arriving to the school. And uh, in downtown, we did not have the tough guys. We had the technical guys because Eli was very into the technique. But uh, of course, when the, the toughness arrived in Jiu Jitsu, it was hard for us. It was very tricky, especially in tournaments that you only have, you know, four or five minutes to go for. Man, in five minutes, you're dead, you know. We, we pretty much we good for one match, you know, and, and the guys from uh, from Copacabana, the guys from all the schools, they are more fit, than everyone younger, jovial, used to surf, no, they used to skateboard, they used to jog in the sand, they used to lift weights, bar, you know, go to the do the bars on the beach. So it's a different crowd.
0: I believe that uh,
2: I honestly, I advise everybody to compete. I compete in everybody else. Since brand new white belt, Hickson put me to compete. Uh, I, I, I compete uh, as a white belt with three, four months of, of training. Hickson told me, oh, let's go there, Pedrinho, no problem. friend you probably just put the guy in your guard. You're going to do fine. I said, okay, sign me up. <laughs> so I go there to Hickson Gracie, a- 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 equipe Hickson Gracie. And uh, it was a Halls Academy, and I fought against uh, Arthur Pardal. That was a super tough guy from Halls. And he beat the crap of me he passed my guard 20 times yeah. <laughs> but he didn't tap me yeah. and on the end of the competition you know the bell rang and how uh arthur was in the mount position you know both hands on my neck and you know, i just <sighs> survived and when arthur got up i saw hickson's face come right to my face smiling man you did awesome i was like hickson Man, this guy kicked my. No, no, no. You fought on the toughest guys from from, from house and you did good. I was like, you oh, son of a gun. I can't <laughs> believe it. Your tone was easy.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you did awesome. awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, uh, we're getting close to the end of the interview. Now, I want to know what is going on, what's excited? what's exciting going on with your association. I know that right now it's kind of tricky with the COVID as far as events, or some states are still closed. And, but what do you got going on with the association? What's exciting? Well, we just
2: had, a, a, since December of uh, last year, we I, uh, I formed a, a board of directors. We nice. have uh, now six directors that are running the association. Uh, a long time ago, uh, until prior to that, was just one man, one guy uh, running the show. And right now we have a, a board of directors that everybody is super nice, by the book, proper and our black belts you know one you know a great negotiator a great attorney uh uh, uh, uh cia uh, uh, self-defense instructor uh we have another one computer expert we got another one who's a socially unbelievable the guy is a, a public speaker mm-hmm. so we do have a group of guys and they've been helping out the association tremendously uh during the COVID year uh, we lost only four schools from 150 close-up, mm. only four, and they are in the process to go back again, and uh, yeah, we, we have new curriculums being, being uh, I'm going to implement now uh, next week, I'm going to be recording a new curriculum, so we're going to revamp a little bit the curriculum with a whole bunch of, uh, you know, more updated techniques. Uh, we're gonna still have the same foundation, but we're gonna make a level level. We're gonna make a le- couple levels up, mm-hmm. and uh, we're gonna record the whole curriculum pretty much. Um, we yeah. are doing camps in Brazil. I've been doing camps in Brazil since 2009. Oh, nice. uh, I already took 350 people to Brazil uh, for the camps, and we do twice a year. One is gonna be this July August. That's gonna be August. This next August. And the other one is going to be in February next year. We already have people sign up for those two camps. People can just log in, pedrosal.com, and you can see how the the camps are. Friendly, super smart. We take everybody to a tour. We train at the Grace Humaitá, Grace Petropolis. We have tons of black belts, coral belts that come to visit us. Grandmaster Albert Barreto has been there. Uh, Ricardo Iriot Americano has been there. We have tons of guys that have been there. Uh, Roger Fly has been there. We've got a t- tons of Coral belts visit visit us. So yeah, we have a great, great things for this next
1: year now. Beautiful, awesome. So Pedro, thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it, congratulations on your beautiful career and what you established here in the United States, being one of the trailblazers and being able to have be responsible for so many schools that are able to help so many people out and change so many lives. So I know that this is your mission and to be spread in jiu-jitsu. So thank you so much for your time. Much appreciated.
2: You're welcome, okay, Gustavo. Appreciate it. It's always a pleasure and an honor, you know, to try to share some kind of the, the back experience, especially pride in the make sure that people don't, don't do the same mistakes that we've done in the past. And uh, I wanna make sure that uh, every black belt, every single guy that's teaching Jiu Jitsu, teaching any other martial arts, my hats go off for you guys. I really appreciate every black belt that's there sharing the art, making a difference in people's life and helping people to cope with any kind of problem and give the strategy for us to win in life. Martial arts, it is, uh, it is the beginning for us to start to understand how to succeed in a social life. So transfer all the knowledge we have to a social life, that's the recipe right there. Okay. So I appreciate it, amigo.
1: Thank you so much, everyone. I'll see you all later. Those...
2: I appreciate it. Thanks, brother.
1: We're glad you were able to join us for this episode
0: of the BJJ Mental Coach Podcast. But the lesson doesn't end here. Watch the videos and download the audio of the 10 mental mistakes BJJ competitors make and how to avoid them for free when you subscribe to TheBJJMentalCoach.com. Don't miss the chance to find out what might be holding you back from being your best self on and off the mat. That's TheBJJMentalCoach.com.